London for the uh, first time ever in franchise history. And uh, we'll get through a lot of other things, too, baseball as well. This is the Bearded Carcast, Episode 6 of Season 3. We'll also probably get into some Apple Talk. I am Mike Pacheco. He is Dave Friedman, and we do welcome you to the Bearded Carcast. And you can follow along at Bearded Carcast. And as always, make sure you uh, email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. You're Mr. Baseball opening day over the summer. You love baseball. And I watch the A's, and I listen to the A's, and don't pay a whole lot of attention to other baseball. The A's were eliminated last week. I was all in on baseball last <laughs> night. Two game fives, and both of them wild. What was your interest level? Not as not as big as yours, um, but when you look at the storylines uh, from the games last night, obviously elimination games, I think it was the uh, 11th time that, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm mixing up sports. It was the uh, first time since 2005 that we've had three elimination games in the division series. Uh, but how about that first inning for the Cardinals? And they did something that you hate. They bunted. Yeah, <laughs> and it turned into a huge inning. But, I mean, that game was over in yeah. 25 minutes, but, I mean, a dramatic start to that game and a dramatic end to the Washington-Los Angeles game. How about a grand slam? Uh, crazy. I mean, Washington came back in much the same manner they did in the wild card game. Those back-to-back home runs off of Clayton Kershaw, then the grand slam in the 10th inning, and, and the Dodgers, who were one of the three best teams in baseball all season long, just stunned. When you look at Clayton Kershaw's legacy, one of the great regular season pitchers in the history of baseball and just consistently bad in the playoffs. Unbelievable. He's 9-11 in, in the playoffs. And his ERA is like 4-5 or five something. And he's dominant in the regular season. So I have a friend yeah. who occasionally listens to the podcast, but more so is what I would call very typical among sports fans in that he doesn't watch a ton of baseball. It's not his greatest interest of all time. And he texted me after that game last night, immediately, clearly watching the end of the game with what does this mean for the Dodgers legacy? And I thought this line was great. I think the worst thing as a sports fan is watching a great regular season team disappoint in the playoffs. So he goes on to say he would rather be a fan of the Mariners totally irrelevant, just not watch their games and tune out, than be a fan of the Dodgers, who every year you have great reason to believe are going to win the World Series, and never do. Well, having lived through a lot of bad Red Sox teams, I don't know if I would go so far as to say something like that. I mean, I, I, look, I, 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 I personally would rather have your team be in it. You hate to see them lose, but at least you know you have a chance uh, than to have a team that just you know is in there every but the Red Sox, within their great now, run. Now, it's easy for me to say because the Red Sox have won. Like, right, well, and I look at the Warriors the same way. They were in the championship five years in a row. They won three of them. And, yeah, the 73-win season, the year that they lost in the finals in Game 7, they were up three games to one, is devastating. And there was a pit in my stomach for several days. But they won three of them. If you're the Dodgers, and it's every year you have one of the best rosters, and you continually find a way to lose, would you rather see your team make the playoffs, make the World Series, but never actually get over the hump or be, you know, an 80-win team and just not worry about it, not have those expectations? Well, I mean, they, they are they are heart-sucking. No, but the difference is, is if you have a team that's consistently knocking on the door, you at least be like, okay, next year's our year, next year's our year. So... I mean, the, the, one of the best seasons the Red Sox had from a fan perspective was 86. The team was, I think, going to be fifth in the AL East. That's when they had deeper divisions. Uh, and then they, you know, they, they kind of electrified the city, and you know, then they had what happened in the World Series, losing the Mets. But uh, I, I still think when your team is good, like, you'll still go into next year. I think Dodgers fans will still go into next year thinking, all right, maybe this is the year they get over. And, of course, it's going to depend on what they do in the postseason. But I mean, every I mean, year they're so invested. They don't need to do anything in the offseason. Their team is stacked. They have great hitting. They have great yeah, pitching. They'll, they'll, they'll make some Of course they will. Yeah. I mean, but, like, they're going to go into next season as one of the favorites. Absolutely. Just like they did last they year be. and the year before and the year before. And here we are again with the Dodgers letting their fan base down. Well, here's the thing. Does, does this – and, I, and I, I think it's crazy talk because I think he's still a good manager, but does this put Dave Roberts on the hot seat? I, you have to think about it. If you can get Joe Madden, yeah. 
I mean, like, Dave Roberts, he made some moves yesterday that you can Monday morning quarterback. Agree with them, disagree with them. But if Joe Madden hasn't signed a contract with the Angels yet, and you know he's won a World Series, did a great job in Tampa, and you're going, we do the same deal all the time. Can we bring in one of the five best managers yeah. in baseball? How do you not consider that? Yeah, I think that'd be a great move. I think it'd be a great move. I mean, I love Dave Roberts, but, you know, you, yeah, you mentioned Joe Madden. And Joe Madden, I think, is one of those guys where with a veteran team, he could come in, you know, get everything going on. He's a guy that probably his message you know, or his way of doing things kind of loses its luster over time. But in a win-now situation, that might be a good move. Okay. So tonight we have game five of Tampa Bay and Houston up against the Patriots yeah. and Giants. It's probably not a fair question to ask you since you're a Patriots fan, right, right, but right. if it wasn't Patriots and Giants, if it was uh, Buccaneers and Falcons, would you watch the Game 5 of the baseball or the regular season football game? I think the answer is going to be the same, but the percentage is going to be off. And what I mean by that is, this is a game I think where you, you're going back and forth. You know, and you're hitting the channel button on your remote. Now, I think for me, uh, I'll probably start out heavier on, um, you know, watching the, the, the Patriots game, especially because I have a vested interest in it with our picks. Uh, but if that game, fire. I know. Yeah, if that's, but if this is going to be a laugher early on both ends, I mean, obviously that changes the equation. But I think this is one where I, I personally will be going back and forth, and maybe what I'll probably do in this new digital, digital age is if I'm on one game, uh, I'll probably you know keep an eye on the other one with uh, with my phone or my tablet. But you're starting football because it's the Patriots. Yeah. Let's take that out, take of, the the out of the equation. Take the Patriots out of the equation. I'll probably start baseball. You start with the baseball game. I mean, there's more there's more meaning to this game because one. If you flipped home. 180 though, and obviously this doesn't happen, it was an NFL playoff game versus a regular season baseball game. We'd never have <laughs> this conversation. And, and and no disrespect, but it's the NFL. Right. NFL playoffs, forget about it. Right, exactly. It's, it's very interesting, though, because it has taken game fives to get me really interested. Sure. I've watched when available. I haven't made time out of my day, but if I'm sitting around to watch some of the baseball playoffs, and they've been quite good, but now that we're at an elimination game in game five, I'm very interested in that. But this goes back to episode five, Dave, because what we talked about, if, if let's say the, let's say this was um, – Let's say the, the A's were playing the Red Sox. You and I would be heavily invested in that, obviously, because those are our teams. Um, well, I would know that the A's are going to lose since they <laughs> always lose their elimination games. I mean, it goes back to my friends. No, but I'm even talking about, like, like, game two, you and I would be more invested. Sure. Yeah, I mean, when it's your favorite team, it's a whole yeah. different equation. Right. So what about the NBA? We've got, like, a major, major story brewing. I don't know if you call this a sports story or a news story, a business story, something in between, but this is another one. The NFL last weekend had Indianapolis beat Kansas City, and maybe there was another interesting game or two, but there's no major Odell Beckham story right. to bark about right now. It seems to me the baseball playoffs, just because it is the playoffs, and we're talking about game fives, and this NBA story playing in China and, and, and the political ramifications of the tweet by Daryl Morey, this is more compelling and interesting, even though we're talking about the beginning of a long, long, long season. But it, because this intersects real life, right? I mean, a lot of times sports is just maybe a distraction for people or it's, it's, it's a way for people to get away from, you know, what they're dealing with in, in real life. But when you bring in this China situation, I mean, what's going on in Hong Kong, and if you haven't figured it out, go to the Washington Post or the New York Times or, you know, go to whatever news service you go to and look it up. I mean, there's there's free speech implications. There's how the West looks at things versus how the East looks at things. In other words, how China looks at things. I mean, China is looking at – I mean, think of it this way. Think of it if, like, New York City was its own, like, independent – uh, entity for a long time under another com another country, and then all of a sudden it was melded into the United States. But there was an agreement that you still had to honor some of the the cultures from the previous country. Um, that's how China looks at it as a sovereignty issue. It's this is you know Hong Kong is part of us. In fact, uh, they look at Taiwan the same way. Uh, we in the West look at it like you know Hong Kong has been this international city since the 1800s or maybe even earlier uh, since since the English have, have ruled. And then uh, was like 10 years ago they they, they kind of melded back into. China. Um, so 
I, I think this is really interesting from a geopolitical standpoint because how the West views this and how it's viewed as uh, by the communist country China is two completely different things. What's interesting in, in doing some of the reading on this, um, the, the Daryl Morey treat was somewhat, I would say, somewhat benign. I mean, it was it's, it's a guy that has 200,000 followers. Granted, he's an executive in the NBA. I mean, it's uh, something they, they you would do in like America a, with no problem. Yes. I mean, if you wanted to tweet out that there was some sort of protest going on and whatever that protest was for, you said, nice to see people out showing their support for X. Yes. I mean, I don't think he thought a long time about, should I post this, should I not post this? He's just seeing people standing up for something that they strongly believe in and saying, go get them. But 20 years ago, I don't think it's an issue. Well, obviously, there's no Twitter 20 years ago. But, I mean, if, if you could put kind of some of our technology 20 years ago, I don't think it's an, as big an issue. But when you look at the world stage now um, and, and what China is trying to do, um, it's interesting that I think the, the overreaction to that tweet is now making more people talk about Hong Kong. Well, it's the overreaction to it by who? It's become a story because... But, but now you have to throw in, though, I mean, we're in a trade war with China. I mean, it, it, it's not just a one-in-one -one issue. I mean, there's like 15 different things that go into this. Well, and from a finances standpoint, not a political standpoint, just finances, if the NBA games can't air in China... The NBA Finals in China were rated only slightly below in America, and it's being played at weird times. I read something like there were like 25 million people watched the normal NBA Finals game in America, and like 20 yeah, million right. people watched it in China. Live. Not just watched it, but they would get up because it's a, it's a different time for time. Uh, different right. Time. So, so yeah. I mean, when I've traveled and my wife and I have been to Asia and Europe and Africa, there are Steph Curry jerseys everywhere. There are LeBron James jerseys everywhere. China can, if they want to, just cut it off. Now, there, there are going to be ramifications for that. The sport is unbelievably popular there, and they're going to get blowback for that. And how that's going to play in with the protesters, I, I, I don't know. Right. But, like, if they want to hurt the NBA, they can. It's a, a billion-dollar industry that's uh, a new market, if you will. Not a new market because they've been there for a long time. But um, you know, you sent me an article that I hadn't seen. Uh, there could be salary cap ramifications on this, right? Because if, if, if you if cut out shut the Chinese down, market, yeah, if, that's going to be yeah. a ten or a fifteen percent. Right. And, and, and players aren't going to care about that, right? I mean, well, top players are still going to want to get there. Yeah, know. right. It's going to hurt them in the pocketbook because yeah. teams are going to have less money to spend. It's just it's fascinating to think about, and you look at what Maury said, and again, I don't think if it was done here, it would be a big deal. But so I'm driving over to your house this morning, and I'm listening to NPR, and there is a story similar to this, companion content, so to speak, talking about Apple and oh, China. Yeah. And Apple has removed an app in China where you can track police where police are going and coming because the, the, the word is that now police are being ambushed because of this right. app. The Chinese have asked it to be removed, maybe for that reason, or maybe because they don't want the protesters to know sure. where police are so that they can protest, all that sort of thing. But Apple, understanding the market in China, is happy to bow to the request of the Chinese government because we're talking about millions or billions of dollars. So how does the NBA play the middle ground of our employees in the United States have free speech and they can say what they want, but oh, by the way, our financial interests are very, very much tied to the international community. And that has been something that uh, I read a story that Daniel Stern has been concerned about this for years, even back when, when he was the commissioner of the NBA, knowing that eventually the, the two cultures were in a clash in some way. And, and this is, you know, free speech, what we believe. Uh, you know, the, I mean, I don't know a lot about uh, Eastern philosophy and Eastern culture, you know, China. I mean, it's what I have read over the years. Uh, it's, a different, um, it's a different mindset, you know. And, and the, so the things that we enjoy and the things that how we've set up our society uh, sometimes goes up against what, what they believe. And I, what I thought was interesting is uh, Yao Ming, who played in the United States, you know, Houston Astros, uh, Houston Astros, um, you know, played for Houston. Uh, he was very upset by what 
Daryl Morey said. Right. And he's a guy that kind of knows both cultures. Right. Well, and that's it. You can look at it from an American viewpoint with rose glasses on and say, no, Daryl Morey is fine. The NBA runs the world. No, it doesn't. In that culture, they can make the rules. And you don't get to tell them your rules are unconstitutional or inhumane. They run their country the way they want to run their country, and if you want to do business in that country, you have to bow down to the way they do it. Well, I think sometimes, and I hate to say this because this might draw some backlash on me, but I think sometimes there's an American arrogance that we feel like the whole world should Absolutely. do the way we do. Um, you know, I mean, it's like eating dog. In this country, eating dog is frowned upon. In another country, eating pig or eating right. cow is frowned upon. That doesn't make you right and them wrong, or them right and you wrong. It's a different set of um, norms. It's a different set of what they like to right. do. And where we kind of, where, and as a country, and I say we as a collective, we kind of stand on the high ground of, and, and I think to some extent rightfully so. I mean, there, there are some good things about due process and, and free speech and a lot of the things that we enjoy. Um, you know, I don't know. I feel like the way the world's going, maybe some people, and I know it sounds crazy, but maybe some people do want to have that structure of authoritarianism. I mean, we don't think it's it's right for us, but um, I don't know. It just seems like that's the way the, I don't know. So prediction? What, what, what happens in all this? Well, I think there, so I think at some point there'll be uh, a leveling off on this, right? So basically what happens, the NBA has, the NBA's in a tough spot because they do have some leverage in the sense of it's a very popular sport over there, but uh, you do respect the big thing in, the, in with Japan and China and East. So they have to. There's going to have to be some sort of compromise where the Chinese government's going to have to save face. I mean, they, they can't look like. Uh, well, they don't have to. No, I'm just, no, no. What I'm saying is, no. What I'm saying is, well, no. What I'm saying is, if I'm the NBA, and this is going to sound kind of jingoistic, I'd say. Finances aside, okay, forget about it. If that's the way you guys want to be, we're out of here. Now, we're going to take a hit financially, which is something they're not going to want to do. But I think a lot of people in this country uh, are saying, especially as outspoken as uh, some NBA players are on social issues, you know, they're seeing a lot of contradictoriness when it's, okay, we'll give China a pass on their human rights issues, um, which I think is apples and oranges. It's two different things. It's, it's one thing to say something about your own country. Uh, it's also something else to say something about somebody else's country. I think because of the money, because of the interest, uh, I think there will be some sort of softening. I don't know when that will be, but uh, it, to I me, mean, ESPN, a partner in the NBA, essentially is not opening their mouth, right? right. No one's no one's talking about it. They're practically, you know, denying that anything is even going on. They're being as careful and conservative as possible. Isn't it possible what's going to happen here is? It's just going to sizzle down. Like, they, they're going to play their two exhibition games in China. Everyone's going to fly back. Maybe some people are going to say things, but they're just going to let it calm down. People in China want to watch the NBA. Now everyone's come back. They're 3,000 miles or 8,000 miles away, whatever it is. China continues to air the games on TV. Maybe the two sides aren't seeing eye to eye, but it's mutually beneficial for the games to air there. Yeah, well, that's what eloquently I was trying to say, is that I think eventually it'll just kind of cool off. Yeah. And, you know, everything will be said. The game's played. Here's the other thing, because some people are saying, like, oh, the NBA should be more outspoken. Okay, they are in a communist country that has rules different than us. Now, granted, the international community would not allow this, but you can't sit there and, and be braggadocio when you have people in another country. You don't know what could happen. I mean, so it's, it's easy to say... So when the players come back to the U.S., do you think it's a major talking point and people are standing up for those protesting in Hong Kong? Or do you think it just kind of is, all right, the regular season is here. We're just concentrating on the Nets tomorrow night. Well, here's the other thing, I, and, and I, I'm reading this as well. I don't know how much the Hong Kong thing really has been investigated and thought of in, on the, the, the minds of most NBA players. I mean, I think there are some that are aware, and it is in the headlines, how invested are they in this issue? So I think I think that's part of it too. Is it's not? I mean, it, it's something on the world stage, but it's not something that affects them immediately. It's clear to me what has to happen. I mean, Dennis Rodman is our greatest yes, diplomat, and Dennis Rodman. Oh, 
in North Korea. So, I mean, let's just have Rodman smooth the whole thing out. That's beautiful. <laughs> you should have said that five minutes ago. Exactly. 
So, like, at one point, we talked about Barry Sanders and Roger Craig and Emmett Smith and all these great running backs. And while the league still has those great running backs, the formula now is more like we can run the ball with just about anyone, and maybe we should have two or three guys back there. So if one guy gets worn down, or you know, look, look what look what the Chargers are doing, and, and now Melvin Gordon is back, but Austin Eckler is a heck of a pass catcher. So you've got your guy that can pass catch, you've got your guy that can block on third down, you've got your between the tackles guy, you've got your outside guy. Like it's cheaper to have three niche players all capable of doing those things and investing in the offensive line. Uh, what about Christian McCaffrey? He's terrific. I'm not sure he's going to last. Right. I mean, his usage is, is unbelievable. But if I were the Panthers, I'd be doing the same thing. That's your employee. He's, he's your best player. Freaking give him the ball. Well, the one thing, that, and I kind of tongue-in-cheek said Christian McCaffrey, uh, and I agree with you, um, what gives what his added value is, though, is he's so – He does everything. He does everything. He's a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. So he's not really like the, that – prototypical running back. Now, Although he, he can do prototypical running back things. He was not able to score on the final play <laughs> against <laughs> Tampa, Tampa Bay. Yeah. That was the last time we saw Cam Newton. That's also the last time we saw the Panthers lose. Yeah. Now the Panthers play on Sunday morning in London against that same Tampa team. And I think there are all sorts of interesting things that come out of this game. My understanding is that Tampa is without two offensive linemen in the game. That's obviously an enormous factor. But the biggest difference between the last game and this game is Cam Newton out, Kyle Allen in. And the Panthers have looked like a different team with uh, with Kyle Allen in and Cam Newton out. And th- you know there could be some correlation, and there could be um, some not correlation there. And you know the defense probably doesn't affect isn't affected by that. But one thing that the defense has done is. Panther defense has really started to gel together. You know, they, they put in some, some new pieces. You know, they, they lost Thomas Davis from last year. So Shaq Thompson kind of had to step into a uh, – not necessarily a new role because he was kind of spelling Thomas Davis, but he's really kind of adapting uh, to, to his role. Um, you know, Luke Keekley is, is Luke Keekley. But you have uh, Gerald McCoy, who used to be with the Buccaneers. He's kind of been cycled in. Uh, Bruce Irvin, who, who came over from Seattle, he's been – um, And the first round draft pick yeah. has been terrific. Yeah, and, and you know – Brian Burns have been just unbelievable. Uh, he's been amazing. So that defense has gotten better. They've the, the really uh, gelled with the secondary. They, they had a huge uh, contribution from Ross Cockrell from Duke, who, who's um, kind of spelled the defense and has kind of been in that nickel package as well. So is what you're saying that the team has improved under Kyle Allen, but not necessarily because of Kyle Allen? I mean, everything you just described as reasons that the Panthers are doing well are other things. I mean, is it possible that this team needed three or four weeks to put it together and the guy that happened to be running the plays behind center is just a small piece to that puzzle? Well, I think a healthy Cam Newton, you have maybe even better results, right? But I, but well, you can't do better than winning. No, no, but I'm saying I think a healthy Cam Newton, maybe this team, instead of being 3-2, is 4-1. Right, well, they or, have a pretty darn good chance of at least winning the Tampa Bay game. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, well, but I don't know. Yeah, so anyway... But to your point, I, I think Kick, uh, Kyle Allen has solidified the offense. Uh, he, he's run the offense well. Now, turnovers is an issue. I mean, he's, he's like, fumbled in every game. Uh, and the, the joke this week was, you know, you don't have to you know, fumble the ball in every first possession. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think they've, they've lucked out in the sense that, you know, they had that three-turnover game, and they still won the game. Uh, they had a couple turnovers, but they, the ball bounced back their way. You know, and sometimes it's crazy. And I, you know, it's cliche, but, you know, sometimes when you're playing well, luck happens and the ball does bounce your way. So on this very podcast, Kyle Allen took over at quarterback, and we said, are they done, or is Cam Newton done, or what is the future? And we're like, well, I mean, if Kyle Allen goes 4-0 and they go to the bye week, you know, they can't replace him with Cam Newton. Well, guess what? They're one win away from being 4-0 without Cam Newton going into the bye week. We don't know if Cam is ready to come back, but the reports are things are getting better. They are. Well, he's been at practice the last couple of days, not necessarily participating. So, fully participating. So. Bye week comes. Cam's feeling pretty good. Gets medical clearance. They've won the four games with Kyle Allen. They're 4-2. and two. Who starts under center? I still think you have to see what happens, how the game plays out in London. 
I think of Kyle Allen because Kyle Allen has been good, um, but I don't think he's been great. Well, and let's let's assume that that's exactly what happens because past results pretty indicative of what we might see in the future. Let's say the Panthers win. Let's say Kyle Allen is good, not bad. Let's say he does exactly the same thing. A couple of turnovers in the game, makes a couple of big throws, leads his team to a 24-20 victory. And we're assuming Cam's 100% ready to go. Well, I don't know that we're going to know that, but he has been cleared and he's saying all the right, right things. He's ready to roll. I mean, you don't know. My hunch is, my hunch is that he would start. Good or bad decision? Me, personally, I would probably keep going with the guy that's got the hot hand. Okay, I'm going to take the other side, and here's why. Kyle Allen has proven he's good enough to win football games. But in the end, the goal has to be to win playoff games and go to the Super Bowl. And I don't think the highest high of Kyle Allen is as great as the highest high of Cam Newton. When Cam Newton is banged up, not playing particularly well. He's going to be a lot worse than the Kyle Allen that we have seen. But at Cam Newton's best, we saw a 15-win team and a Super Bowl team. And if you look at, hey, guys, we're, we're through six games. We're four and two. We've got a playoff team. Maybe we make one change or two. We bring in a guy. We catch a break or something. Maybe Drew Brees is out longer than we think he's going to be. We can win this division we win the division, we have a home playoff game, then we're two games, three games away from the Super Bowl. I think Cam Newton has the upside. He gives you that. If he's right, we've seen what he can do. Maybe it's an outlier. I know he's only had one unbelievable year to his career, but maybe he needed five weeks off. Well, I don't think he's going to be ready. That's just my personal opinion. I think this Liz Frank thing, um, and he said he's got to be 100% healthy. I don't know that he's going to be ready in two weeks. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe but I agree with you. I mean, if he, like I said, I, the, the, to me, the thing is, just basing on what, what he has said, what the team said, like they want him to be 100% healthy. So that tells me that when he's 100% healthy, he's going to be, be the quarterback of this team. Now, that becomes – every week that Kyle Allen wins and Cam Newton is out, that becomes a, a more muddy decision. Well, that, that's exactly it. Maybe you can punt the decision two more weeks. But if then Kyle Allen is 6-0, and it makes yeah, it that much more difficult, difficult to take out of the starting line. If you want to mix up that uh, – now, granted, this is – I mean, I've always felt – and I think I even said this a couple weeks ago, Dave. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's the, the, the multi-million dollar man. I mean, he's your guy. He's your quarterback. He's your starting quarterback. Um, so it would not surprise me at any point if the decision is, look, Kyle, Kyle Allen, great job, but – you know, Cam's back, you're out. That would not surprise me. It also wouldn't surprise me if, uh, and I think this is a tougher decision because of who Cam Newton is um, and because of, and what I mean by that is, uh, I mean, he's your franchise quarterback. He's, you know, the first player taken in the draft, Heisman Trophy quarterback, and, and this is an undrafted guy. I'm so excited to have the same conversation next week and the week after. <laughs> well, it is. It's going to be it's gonna be Groundhog Day, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know. I just think that the, the, the balance is this, right, is – you're winning. Your team's playing confident. You're, you have chemistry. Does does bringing back the quarterback? How does that affect that? That's 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 the decision that they're going to have to make. Um, now I know a lot of fans are you know, and again, the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on the team, especially when he's winning. Um, so I, I think the temptation from the fan base is going to be, oh, keep Kyle in, keep Kyle on, keep Kyle on. Uh, but I, and I think you have to weigh that. The, 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 here's the, I mean, the worst case scenario is. Is you know the Panthers let's say are like seven and two. Cam Newton comes back. They they bench Kyle Allen and then Cam comes back and his first game's a dub. Yeah. Because then you're. Yeah. Th- then then I mean there's a lot of pressure. On, right. On. You can wait as long as you want. You can keep saying he's not a hundred percent. He's not feeling great. But that minute he's ready to go, you have to make a decision. And if you start toggling them, you start Cam. Oh, he's not playing good. Kyle Allen comes in. You have just created a, a, a storm. But, but, here's the, but here's the other thing, and I don't think a lot of people have, have talked about this, and you kind of intimated this. Yeah. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for the Panthers to have a 100% healthy, ready-to-go Cam Newton for the final six or eight games. Right. Of the year. Sure. If you believe a 100% Cam Newton at this stage in the game is good, and since we haven't seen a 100% Cam Newton in a long time, it's very difficult to know. It's just, it just I mean, it, it's a different 
circumstance in, in some ways, and it's a similar circumstance. This just it just smells of Brady and Bledsoe. Uh, a little bit, except, well, I mean, if you think Kyle Allen is Tom Brady, good. I mean, like, I haven't seen No, no, but, but, at, but, at, but at that stage, they didn't know Tom Brady was Tom 100%. Brady. 100%. I mean, I mean, Tom Brady, I mean, it's, it's If a, you're making that call, though, yeah. that is Like, something. I remember when, when that happened, a lot oh, of people yeah. thought Belichick was nuts. And not wrongly so. Yeah. But, but what you're saying is it smells of that. So, you know, in 12 years when Kyle Allen is accepting his no, fifth I'm not MVP. Saying, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, that, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it smells of Kyle Allen going on. Just the how do you make the decision. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a similar scenario. Okay, let's get on to our picks. This week, you once again will be picking the Patriots game as you have. They're a 17-point choice tonight at home against the Giants. I believe the Giants are playing without Saquon Barkley without Evan Ingram. They might have a couple other guys out, too. In fact, I think uh, I think Barkley's backup's not playing as well, Wayne Goldman. Um, you're 4-1, and one, which, yeah. is, which is phenomenal. And I think you've been with the Patriots all but one. For all, yeah, right. Yeah. And they've all basically been playing double figures. Yeah. So this one opened up at, at what are we going with? It opened up at 16 and a half. Yeah, it was 17. Point. It's 17 now. 17. I like the 16 and a half one. <laughs> well, the reason why I say that... Um, you know, I listen to Kornheiser all yeah. the time, and he has James Carville on, and when James Carville doesn't like the line, he just changes it for himself. Perfect. All right, so we'll do... Uh, we'll, we'll 12 and a half. We'll do 12 and a half, and I'll take the Patriots. Um, so this is interesting, Dave. This is the, uh, the the largest underdog that the Giants have ever been in their team history, which I saw that. Uh, also... This is the biggest uh, point spread on a Thursday night. The, the underdog's never been behind this much. So those are a couple interesting things um, to weigh in. 17, that's a big number. Um, but it's the Giants. Um, I know Tom Coughlin's not the head coach. So is your wife still on board with the Giants? Or she, she is. Abandoned she is. No, she is. She's... Uh, you know, she's like... She'll she, be wearing her Lawrence Taylor jersey Well, she's, she's kind of a football snowbird. She's a Giants and Panthers fan. Okay. Yeah. So this year so she's more of a Panthers she's fan. More, no, she's still <laughs> a Giants fan. She's still a Giants fan. I'm, I'm, I'm waffling here, Dave, because that 17 is just... Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Giants on this one. Can you take the Giants plus 17? Yeah. Okay. And okay. I know I'm probably going to regret it, but I just... I don't know. It's Thursday night, short week. Um, I don't know. If it was, I'd say I will say this. If it was a full full week, I would I would take the Patriots. But I think because of the short week, um, maybe they're just trying to get the. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I, that's that's my uh, that's my theory on that one. All right, my picks are four and one as yeah. well. I've been leaning heavily on Indianapolis, so I like what's a our eight hundred number. What's that? What's our eight hundred number? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's our nine hundred number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our Colts are off this week. This is riding the Colts pretty hard. This is a game I'm gonna pick that not a lot of people are paying much attention to. I'm going to take Atlanta minus two at Arizona. Atlanta's actually played a pretty difficult schedule, and while they certainly haven't been good, they haven't been nearly as bad as their record indicates. And Arizona, um, they they are playing at home, and they do have the young quarterback, but they they don't have a lot together right now. I mean, maybe they're going to be good back into the season. I don't think they're good right now. And I think Atlanta's kind of playing to save the coach's job and to maybe make the second half of the season relevant. I, I think they're better. It was flimsy. I mean, the guy, I mean, he, there was no hard.
heartstrings. Well, he emailed me and yeah. not the bearded card sure, cast, sure. so obviously, you know, he's not quite a quite as big <laughs> a fan. He wasn't, yeah. And if you're keeping track, we have gotten two emails from Mrs. Gaddafi. Uh, Great to hear from her. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're huge, apparently, with uh, bank managers and uh, telex operators. I can imagine worse yeah. people to be in on. Yeah. I can imagine worse people to be in on. Um, college football? We talked about it before the NFL started. We haven't really touched on it since. Uh, been watching? Level of interest? Storylines? Not really as much. And I'll be honest with you, um, this is just personal. My dad, um, my dad, my uh, my son has been playing middle school football, and uh, I've kind of been all in on the Holy Trinity Bulldogs. Are those games streamed online? They are not streamed online, but I, I do video the games. So yes. you can find them on Huddle. Yes, <laughs> I like <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, no, so we have, uh, you know, like, so we'll go and we'll watch games after John's games. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be watching, uh, you know, we, we've gone over to a friend's house a couple of times. I watched watch. a little of App State last night. Not yeah. a lot during yeah. the baseball game, but a little bit. It, it's just such a shame. They're 5-0. Yeah. They're really good. They're probably going to win their conference. And they play for nothing. I mean, like, yeah. they, they can go unbeaten, and it doesn't do them one iota good. They don't get to beat out, you know, UCF or Boise State right. or Cincinnati and get into a major bowl game. They can have an amazing season, and they're having a great season. They won at freaking North Carolina. Yeah. And, you know, regionally here, people kind of know, but overall, right. nobody really cares. Well, and it's also, too, uh, so my team basically, just because I grew up in Boston, and uh, I was a Doug Flutie fan as a, as a, as a, as a high schooler. Doug Flutie was, was amazing. And, uh, and then, of course, Early in my career and later in my career, I had two different stints. I worked on the BC football broadcast. So, I mean, BC, I guess, is technically my team, and they've just kind of dotted out here. Well, other than Clemson, the entire ACC is like that. I mean, is Virginia good? Is Pitt good? Is Syracuse good? I mean, like, they all kind of – Miami looks like a debacle that they've been most of the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. It's just what is the storyline you're excited about? There are good games this week. Texas plays Oklahoma this week. Jalen Hurts could become a third consecutive Heisman Trophy winner for Oklahoma. I mean, that offense is incredible. What is going on with Trevor Lawrence and Clemson? Yes, they're ranked very high, but they certainly haven't looked real good. Is that just a matter of playing bad competition, or are they going to figure it out? Pete Thamel wrote this week that there's a real argument that Ohio State is the best team in the country. But the problem is there's six or eight teams to actually pay close attention to. Right. It's bizarre to me in a sport with over a hundred teams playing at the highest level, there are fewer relevant college football teams than there are NFL teams. Yeah. Stuart Mandel wrote a really interesting piece that I read, a very long piece yesterday, about what the next wave of conference realignment is going to look Ooh. like and how is that going to play into the likeness of student athletes and paying players and all those sort of things. And none of the media contracts are up for a few more years. It's not going to happen tomorrow or the next day. But I thought he brought up a real interesting concept. Could you change college football to essentially make it the NFL? You just took the 32 best teams and you played like an NFL-type schedule and an NFL-type playoffs. Now, obviously, that would eliminate a lot of other teams, but you could do something like they do in Europe with soccer. You could have relegation, so the 32 teams could fluctuate kind of from year to year. But the end is that's professional sports. And college sports now are right on the fringe of being professional sports. But if you want to go money grab, that's the money grab. It's just turned into turned into to a pro sport and it's supposed to the Pac-12 agrees to one deal and the SEC agrees to another deal you you broker the entire sport to ESPN CBS ABC NBC and you make a lot more money I mean it's crazy that college football's revenue overall is not the second most of all sports it gets the second best TV ratings it's the second most popular after the NFL so why is baseball or football making more money, baseball or, or hockey or basketball right. making more money. Well, I, I think what happens is, I don't know that relegation necessarily would work, per se, and I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, well, actually, it ties into what I'm about to say right now, which is, I, I think you, you would, what you're going to happen here is kind of what happened in 1978, um, I think it was around 1978, when a bunch of teams had to make a decision whether they were going to stay at the 1A one, one level and then or the 1AA thing. So I think what happens is, now you create, 
Division One and Division One AA. Not that that's good or bad, but I think that's what happens. Then I think the next piece of that puzzle is how many schools financially could really we're talking about I'm talking about in your pay model if you have to start paying players. Now I think what happens is I think it's almost like natural selection. I think there's only about maybe 25 or 30 programs that really could sustain paying all those football players. So I think it's the, the well, whoever's cut into the huge TV contract to have right. money to do it. Yeah. So if there are 32 of them, then there's 32. I mean, but I think it would be hard for somebody that's not in that 32 to just jump. like it is now. App State doesn't no, get any the, of the players that Alabama does. I, I, the, but the golf is going to be well. It depends. I, I would say this: it depends on your roster sizes. Because I think if you do, um, the dogs want to come in. I leave them out there. If you want to, um, it, it's kind of like what happened when they. I think the, the dogs disagree with you. I think they that might. seemed like a they huge might. protest and saying, "Mike, we deserve to be paid. We we hang out at your house all day long, and you feed <laughs> us and you pet us. But but by God, we need to earn it." Well, remember, I mean, I think some of the reason why some of these teams like the UCFs and uh, and the other smaller schools, uh, not smaller schools, but schools that aren't in the Power Five. Uh, if, if, if you could have, like, 100 scholarships at the, at the Division One level, uh, those teams go by the wayside, I think. Or, or at least or it's harder. It's harder for them to compete. And it's harder so, for them to compete now. Right. But I think if you – but, again, the pay model now – and, again, I think this is all going to be dependent on, on what, what, what you set uh, your, your, your roster, get, or roster limits at. Because if you say 80 to 85, uh, which currently what it is now, right, I, I think you, a lot of guys that maybe would have passed on going, like the, the guys that might have said, you know what, I'd rather go to UCF and play than be, you know, third string on or second string on. You know. Is this a more interesting topic than Penn State and Iowa this week or USC Notre Dame? Oh, I, yes, because it's a global it's a global issue as opposed to a, a week by week game issue, and those are important issues. I mean, those important games, but. This, I mean, this changes. This fundamentally changes. This fundamentally changes the sport. The number of important games in college football is remarkably low. If you decided before the year, I'm going to go to one Clemson game to one of the best teams right. in the country, you could easily have decided, oh, this week against Florida State. Oh, great, it's a 28 point spread right. and right. it's not much of a contest. I mean, how many games does Clemson play the entire year that they have an opportunity to lose? It, it's yeah. just. I mean, and, and yeah, they could have lost North Carolina. No one would have predicted that going in, and that's why you have to watch the games and pay attention. But, like, for all of the games, 40 or 50 games that take place each weekend, there's so few relevant games. Meanwhile, a game with a 10-point spread like Kansas City and Indianapolis on Sunday becomes a huge deal yeah. because the Chiefs lose. I do think, and you and I have talked about this in the basketball standpoint, I mean, I think at some point there is going to be a thinning of the herd, yep. and there's going to be a, a, a big, league that's going to be like a power league. Uh, what I mean power league, I mean it's going to be the elites, and then there's going to be everybody else. If you had 32 teams or whatever the magic number is, those games would be much must-watch television every Saturday the same way that the NFL is every Sunday. And now you can certainly make an excuse to come up with, yeah, I want to watch this game at noon and this game at 3.30 and this game at 8 o'clock every Saturday, but most of those games do not have nearly the that the pro games right. do. I, here's the fun exercise is, I mean, I think, wh where would you put, and I'm asking this, because we haven't really discussed this, so I'm asking more theoretical, uh, and not that I have a hard opinion on this, but, I mean, where would you put the number of, okay, there's probably, what, 10 or 15 teams, 20 teams would be easy, that would be, okay, these are our 20 teams. Yeah, who's on the bubble? Right, so the, the bubble would be, I mean, that would be an interesting right. discussion. Yeah, no doubt, Notre Dame and Ohio yeah. State and Michigan and Penn State. Yeah, Georgia. And, yeah, Alabama. Florida, USC. Florida State. Is Florida State or is Florida yeah, State? Yeah, Florida State's in there. That's a football school, no question. But but at some point, you have to go. The Florida State okay, right now. Okay, Nebraska is in, but is, you know, and, and, and yeah. Where, where, but but that's another one of the arguments from this article that some of the biggest problems in college football and in college sports is the money that Washington State is getting and not bringing anything to the table. A lot of these leagues have these big, powerful programs. Why are we cutting in Vanderbilt to this deal? Why is Washington State getting that big a check every year? There, there's an argument that you should get rid of some teams in these power conferences. Let's wrap up with apples. What the, what, how is the yeah, well, I mean, like, we need to acknowledge that our friend Reggie Walker, who
who was your friend first, and then you introduced him to me. I needed someone to help out with some football broadcasts last year, and now Reggie is doing quite a few of our Gardner-Webb football broadcasts this year. He is the honorary stand-in bearded carcast guy. Yeah. Now, we don't actually do a podcast with him, but he and I now drive to games yeah. on a, if not weekly, every other week basis. We drive to watch Gardner-Webb football practice we should do a once a week. <laughs> yeah, right, right <laughs> exactly. But, but last week, Gardner-Webb played at Western Carolina. Yeah. And you know how much I like my apples. We yes. talked about getting 200 apples in uh, mid-August and how much I like those. Well, I'm out of apples because it's been six or eight yeah. weeks, and we're going to Western Carolina, and to get to Western Carolina, you go through Hendersonville, and you go through Asheville. So last week, I said to Reggie, I'm like, hey, you know, let's leave an hour or so early. We'll stop, and we'll get apples <laughs> on the way. We'll get a nice meal, yeah, yeah. and then we'll go up. Wow, this sounds familiar. We'll go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've seen it. Right. So Reggie went to the same farmer's market <laughs> that you and Darren Gant went with me, this time it was outdoors as opposed oh, to in indoors. Yeah. Well, this time it wasn't like the Shriners building. No, it, was, well, yeah. it's right, it's right across the street. I mean, it happens to be outdoors because it, it's nice enough weather to be outdoors. But I called my Apple people on Thursday, Priestman Farms, Farms, and we talked about what they still had available. The the <laughs> that. Unfortunately, they don't actually need to because <laughs> I'm spending the money with them whether they sponsor it or not. But um, so, so I asked them. I wanted a bushel and a half. Yeah. The pricing is a bushel of apples, which is about 100 apples, 90 or 100 apples, is 30 bucks. But they don't sell half a bushel. The next biggest size is a quarter of a bushel. Right. A quarter of a bushel is 15 bucks. Okay. Doesn't make any sense. So you might as well just get the two, right. two full yeah. bushels. Right. So I got the two full bushels, and I talked at length on the phone with the woman that works there about what apples they have and what's the freshest and what's looking good right now and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So Reggie and I went to Asheville. I bought two bushels of apples. They sat in the car as we drove to yeah. Western Carolina. We now, did Reggie get any apples? Did he get a bushel? I don't think Reggie got any apples, but I think he admired my yes, apples. Yes, of course. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know that you got apples the first time. But by the second or third or eighth time, oh, you're like, I gotta, yeah, I got to get some. <laughs> right, right. So, like, like, it's one of those things, that, like, you might not like a certain taste the first time you try it. But gradually, right, but, like, you remember the first time you had beer. Yes. Like, beer is not the tastiest well, thing. doesn't necessarily. Right, but you have to, like, get in your head that this is actually something I want to do. This yeah. is actually something I like. And the second time is better than the first, and the fifth time is better than the second. And now, I mean, I don't know that I can convince you to buy a bushel of apples, but I think not only is your excitement level about doing so, but I think the quantity is growing as well. Oh, absolutely. And the different types of apples. Right. Yeah, the variety. You're going to be a connoisseur before oh, we're all said no and done. No doubt about it. I'm a big lady guy right now, though. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, follow us, uh, on, listen to us on Stitcher. You can always see iTunes and uh, SoundCloud, however you're doing it right now. Keep doing it. At Bearded Carcast on Twitter. Send us an email. We take all types of uh, investment inquiries. Not that we're going to pay out, but you pay us. <laughs> uh, and anytime you have a question, uh, just follow, follow it up at beardedcarcast at outlook.com.